Hi, this is uh, Stories from the River Road Boulevard, right? And uh, my name is Dale Reber, and I'm here with Jim Gillespie and Blake Tempest, and we are going to do a few stories for you today uh, as part of our podcast, right? All right. I was thinking, like, there's a lot of stories to tell, but when I was, when I was growing up, there were a lot of songs on the radio that were actually stories. You think of uh, the Battle of New Orleans. Johnny Horton was number one on the hit parade for four or five weeks in a row. And then uh, somebody like uh, Lauren Green had a popular record that was a story. Uh, Walter Brennan, the old Grandpa McCoy, uh, three-time Oscar-winning actor, he had a, a story song that was uh, a huge hit. So there were a lot of them. And so I thought I would try to do a, uh, I'll, do, I'll do a couple of them, one short and one is a little longer, of uh, where you take songs that were actually stories and try to tell them as a story. So this is about when I was a young man and I was home on leave. I was on my way to Vietnam. It's so like got 20 days leave. And so I was home and, you know, you talk to the relatives for a couple of days and then you need something else to do. And so I thought I'd go down to the, the Legion Hall where they, had the, they used to have uh, sock hops and dances at the Legion Hall on Friday night. And uh, so I thought I'd go down there and see if any of the old gang was hanging around. And when I got in there, I didn't see anybody that I knew, but there was a girl standing across the floor. And I was so drawn to her. And so I walked across the room, and her name was Lori. And so I, stood, and I talked with her all night, and we danced. And I, it seems crazy now at my age, but I just fell in love with this girl. I just could not imagine how, how my feelings just overwhelmed me. I was so in love with this girl. So when the dance was over, I was walking her home, and we were talking. And all at once, she just out of the blue said that the, today was her birthday. And then she said that she was cold. And she asked if she could wear my sweater. So I gave her my sweater to wear, and we kept on walking, and she took me to her house. And uh, I, I kissed her good the first day, but I kissed her goodnight on the porch and started walking home. And I got a ways away, and I thought, oh, I forgot my sweater. So I, I went back to uh, the house, and I knocked on the door. But instead of Lori coming, there was a man appeared, and I told him why I was there. And he just looked at me, and he says, you're, you're wrong, son. Uh, you weren't with my daughter, and I think it's very cruel of you to come to me this way because uh, my Lori left this world on her birthday, and she died a year ago today. So I started away, and it was almost like a hand, like pulling you from the front of your shirt, just pulling you, leading you, so you had no choice but to follow, and it was dark, and so finally the pulling seemed to stop, and I stood there, and the clouds drifted away from the moonlight, and I could see that I was in the cemetery, and I could see that... Lori's name was on the tombstone, and on the grave was my sweater. And I know that strange things happen in this world, and I just could not believe it. So I picked up my sweater, and I started walking home, and then I got this strange feeling in my mouth. I went, ooh, I kissed a dead girl. Okay, the second one is uh, by a man named Tim Wilson, and uh, his father was a Southern Baptist preacher, and uh, Timmy Wilson was... Uh, Comedian, songwriter, singer, and he traveled this country uh, doing crazy things. And I don't know if his father would have approved of this story or not, but uh, 
I always liked it myself. So, Well, the church burned down, and no one knew what Pentecost Baptist was going to do. The Sunday brimstone got the dad blame hot. It burned up the church bus in the parking lot. In a panic, the Reverend Dr. White called up an ex-member who had lived right. He owned Joe's beer joint right across the fence. It's the same Joe's he'd preached against. He said, I don't really want to be a hypocrite. I got a Sunday school class about to have fits, and we were all set up for revival week, but we've been moved by the Spirit, so to speak. With all the souls we saved and the money we spent, we thought God told us to sell that tent, but I've got a famous evangelist supposed to come, but I need some chairs. Can you loan us some? Joe said, heck, why don't you use the whole darn place? You know, A9 on the jukebox is amazing grace. I'm not supposed to be open Sundays because of them blue laws, but I'll open up tonight if it's all right with you all. The preacher said, well, I guess that would be okay. The good Lord works in mysterious ways. I'm preaching from Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and I reckon I could do that from the DJ booth. And it's at the first Baptist bar and grill. It's the only church in the Bible Belt that smells like a whiskey still. While the, fin oh, while the sinners finish one more round, we'll have dinner on the grounds and we'll go inside and pray we don't get killed. Well, the evangelist came with a well-dressed choir. They showed up about happy hour, took a look at the joint and didn't take it real well, said the white ministry has gone to hell. Miss Mills was there from the Sunday school along with two deacons who were shooting pool. They were trying to convert the Jim Beam rep who was teaching Miss Mills some line dance steps. Dr. White was reading from the book of Luke to a drunk truck driver about to puke. He had John 3.16 memorized, trying to dry him out and get him baptized. The evangelist yelled about the lights and the beer, said, White, you can't save any souls in here. This place is nothing but a den of sin. Ain't the kind of place Baptists ought to be in. The preacher said, well, I guess I don't need you all here. You didn't do a very good job last year. You only saved one sinner. That was Todd McGuire, the little SOB that set my church on fire. Joe's beard joint has been revived. I've only been here an hour and it doesn't save five. Sure, it's got mirrors and a big dance floor, but I finally found the flock God called me for right here at the First Baptist Bar and Grill. It's the only church in the Bible Belt that smells like a whiskey still. Not a stained glass window anywhere in sight, just a blood-stained floor and neon lights, and the communion wine in here is always chilled. We're here every Sunday and we're living large. We're the only church with a cover charge. And if you don't like our doctrine and think we ain't devout, well, Jim Gillespie is our bouncer and he'll throw your butt out here at the First Baptist Bar and Grill. This is a story that I never told my, my mother, that I never told anyone but you guys. And it took place when I was 18 years old. I, my, my, birthday is, my birthday is in the wintertime, and I, so I graduated at, eight, at 18, went to college, and came back the first month of college, and in Cresco there was a, a bar called Little Chicago. And you have to remember that during those times, 18-year-olds could drink. And I was 6'4", about 140 pounds, and a mass, a mass of a man, and Little Chicago was known to be a little, a little crazy. But all my friends were going to go to Little Chicago. So I went to Little Chicago and sat at the bar next to Gary Praska and Mark Hila. We were sitting there, and all of a sudden, a neighbor friend of mine, Tracy Hall, came in. 
and he stopped. And Tracy was a big man, 6'6", about 250 pounds. He was three years older than me. Um, he, he lived out back. He loved my mother, just adored my mother. And everybody was afraid of Tracy but me, you know, a little skinny guy. I knew Tracy loved my mom, and he always treated me with, with love and respect. And, and he, he came up to me, and I could see Gary and Mark were a little frightened. And he said, Jimmy, come over here. I need to talk to you. And so we went to the corner of Little Chicago, and he said, Jimmy, go out back and get the Firebird, will you? Tracy had a wonderful Firebird, just, just a hot car. Tracy had wrecked three cars in a year. He wrecked, he wrecked that Firebird, he wrecked a Camaro, and he wrecked a Jeep. But he was still driving that Firebird. Well, Dale talked last week about learning to drive a, a manual transmission, and I had forgot that Tracy's Firebird was a manual transmission. And as I was going out back to get the Firebird, I heard Tracy say, you're dead and you're dead and you're dead. And I thought, oh no. And so I got in the Firebird and got it started and killed it a couple times going down the alley and went around the corner. And as I went around the corner, Tracy and Three other guys were bouncing off of Highway 9. Their heads were bouncing off of Highway 9. Every time Tracy's head would bounce off of Highway 9, he'd get up and grab another guy. <laughs> and uh, so I, I finally rolled the Firebird up, and Tracy got it, and he said, go. And I wasn't going to go very fast because I was driving this manual. And boom, 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 I was rolling. And as I was rolling, and he was sitting there, go, Jimmy, go, Jimmy, go, Jimmy. About that time, the cops came. I'm sure they had saw Tracy's Firebird before, and they came after me. Well, Tracy was going, go, Jimmy, go, Jimmy, go, Jimmy. And it finally just died on me. And the cops were there, and they came up to the car, and they took Tracy out of the car, and they took me out of the car, and they put us in handcuffs, and they put us in the back seat of the, of the cruiser. Mr. Smith was the policeman in town. I'm sure he thought, what is Jimmy Gillespie doing? Driver Tracy, Tracy's Firebird. We're sitting in the back, police cruiser, and Officer Smith is talking to, in his, on his radio, and Tracy looks at me, and all of a sudden he starts giggling. <laughs> you know, just, just laughing. I'm thinking, Tracy, what are you laughing? You know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at him. I can't say anything because I'm sitting in the back of a police car. And he turns at me and he says, "Bernie's gonna kill you, isn't she?" <laughs> 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 he knew my mother was going to kill me. And I said, yeah, Tracy, she, she's going to kill me. And he sat there for a second, and he said something to Officer Smith that I can't say on the air. And they got out of the car, and Officer Smith threw Tracy against the car. I watched him talk out there a little bit. Then he grabbed Tracy and put him back in the back seat with me. 
and he, he came around. And he took me out of the car, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my Howard County tattoo now. And Officer Smith took me out of the handcuffs, and he said, "You need to go home." I never told my mother that, uh, but I'm sure Tra- I'm sure Tracy told Officer Smith, "Smith, Bernie's gonna kill Jim. You better let him go home." That was the only time I sat in the back of a police cruiser. <laughs>